God wash over you today. I believe God's got great things in store for you. He's got great things in store for Word of Grace. It's going to be a great day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about embracing change. We've been talking about how we embrace change by answering the question of what did God say? We've been asking that question because after everything is said and done here on this earth, we know that all that's going to matter is how you and I responded to that question. What did God say? Whenever we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be what did Bob say, what did Susie say. It's going to be what did God say. It's not going to be what kind of pressure were you under, what, who, what were you worried about if people thought about you, if you did this or did that. All that's going to matter when everything is said and done is how you responded to what God said. Now, no matter... What's going on? We always have to remember to also embrace the truth. We embrace the truth of God's word through understanding, through seeking to understand his word. And then not just stopping there, but after we understand, does anybody remember what we do next? We apply it. We apply the word of God. So we're seeking to understand it so we can correctly apply his word. And then last week we talked about embracing the best because we know that what God has for us is better than... Amen. You guys are great, man. First service, they needed a little coaching. You guys are fantastic. Pat yourselves on the back this morning. That's great. What God has in store for you and what God has in store for your life, for my life, for our church is better than whatever we could have asked or imagined. Because let me tell you something. A lot of times we get an idea of what best is. We get an idea of what success is. We get an idea of what it means to do well in life. And sometimes, what, whatever has painted that picture for us, oftentimes that definition can become skewed and distorted from what really what God wants and what He says is best. And so, even though it may not look like the best at times, God's best for you is better than whatever. And I want to wrap up this series this morning by talking to you about embracing God's heart. So, we need to understand something about embracing God's heart is that from the very beginning of time, God has been looking for man to desire him. He's been after man's heart. You know that God could have created us very easily to be forced to serve him, to be forced to do whatever he wanted us to do. He could have just made us a robot. All he had to do was push a button and we would do exactly what he wanted us to do. But how many of you know that God wanted us to choose him. God desires that relationship from us because he wants us to simply choose him. And we understand that our relationship with God 
is not simply based off of what he can do for us. It's based on getting to know him for who he is. A lot of times we base our relationships here in this world off of what the other person can do for us. A lot of times in business, we do business with people simply because of what they can do for us. If you're in business for yourself, you know that you network and you connect to other people who can do things for you and you do things for them, and that's kind of how it works. And that's healthy in a business sense, but what about in a relationship sense where you're to get to know someone? Imagine if you treated your relationship with your spouse like that. Well, I'm in this thing because of what she can do for me or because of what he can do for me. And you don't get to know each other. It's just all about what I get out of the deal. It's very focused on me. And a lot of times, that's how we treat our relationship with God. We just say, God, I'm in this thing for what I can get out of it. I'm going to serve you for what I can get. And what it's all about me, me, me. And God, I'll serve you and I'll live for you. But I'm going to come to you occasionally. And, and I'm going to do a little something for you. I'll tell you what I'm going to do today, God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm even going to drop you some money in the bucket. Now, what are you going to do for me? That's how we work. That's how our minds are wired sometimes. I remember even whenever I was a youth pastor, and uh, I was still growing in some things that, uh, <laughs> I hate to even share this, but this is, this is just the truth, just being real this morning. Whenever I was a youth pastor, I used to think that if I would fast every Wednesday, that God would give me a great youth service on Wednesday night. So that's what I did. I fasted. I wouldn't eat any food, and I would pray. And because of that, I thought, God, you owe me. And that's what I would try to do. I'd try to cash in on God because of my investment. And that's what we do a lot of times. That's how we view our relationship with God. We do things for what we get out of the deal. Let me tell you something. I love my wife for who she is, not just what she can do for me and not the benefit that she brings to the relationship. The benefit is what I can give, what I can love her, what can I do for her. And you got to understand that that's what a healthy relationship looks like. It's not all, oh, what can you do for me? You're not meeting my needs. You're not making me happy. It's all about, God, what can I do for you? Because see, whenever you have the heart to do for others, you know what that means? That means that you've got the heart of God beating in your chest. Because isn't it God's love that he so loved this world that he gave? Isn't that what his love did? Isn't that what true love does in the first place is love gives? And God has been after man's heart. He's been after man to give to him, to love him, to choose him, to desire him, and to want him. Not just because of what he gives and what he does. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to love him for who he is and not just simply what he does. Flip over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to read in verse 16. Matthew 19 and verse 16 says, Now behold, one came and said to him, talking about Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now stop right there. That verse right there, the guy's coming to Jesus, interested in what Jesus can do for him. And he even butters Jesus up a little bit. Hey, good teacher. Hey, you know you're a good teacher. Good teacher. Not just teacher, but good teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may 
inherit eternal life, that I can have eternal life. What, what do I need to do? What does Jesus do? He immediately addresses this guy. He says, he, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into, if you want to enter, enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What still do I lack? In other words, I'm pretty good, right? Uh, Jesus said, uh, you got to do these things. You know, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. He said, no problem. I'm doing those things. So apparently this guy's feeling pretty good about himself at this point. I'm going to get what God wants for me because of what I've done, because I've earned it. And folks, let me tell you, that's a lot of times that the mentality that we have as Christians is this earning mentality. We have an earning mentality that I have done this, this, and this, and this, so God, you owe me. And let me tell you, folks, that's not how this thing works. It's not God owes me. I'm going to explain this a little bit later, but it's not that he owes me or that I'm cashing in on God's promises because I've been good enough to earn them and deserve them. He said, all these things I've done, what, what's the deal? What, what's the problem? What am I missing? And here's what Jesus said in verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And the way I always like to say it is that great possessions had him. Because you see, the deal was, was that Jesus was saying, I'm not really interested in your stuff. I'm not really even interested in the fact that you've been good and you kept all these commandments. I'm not really even interested that you've tried to pat me on the back and butter me up and make me feel good about the fact that I'm a good teacher. What I'm interested in is your heart. I'm after your heart. I want that thing that has your heart because until I have that thing, I don't really have you. Because you can have even a relationship with someone, but yet you haven't given them your heart. You haven't given them your all, and they feel like they don't really have you. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. You know, you're doing all the right things there, you know, rich guy. This guy's young. He either was a, a great entrepreneur or either he inherited a large sum of money. But apparently this had become his world. And because it had become his world, because it had gripped his heart in such a way, Jesus said, that's what I want. Was Jesus after the guy's stuff? Does Jesus not want, any, want anybody to have anything? Is that what's being communicated here? That we should all go home today and take all of our stuff, every single thing that we own to Goodwill and give it away or go have a big yard sale and give all of our money to the poor? Is that what he was saying? That he doesn't want us to have uh, nice things and he doesn't want us to, to be doing well in life? Is that what Jesus was saying? No. Not at all. Jesus was saying, this has got your heart, man. This has got your heart. This has got the one thing I'm after. Listen, Jesus was saying, listen, rich guy. Let's call him Bill. <laughs> Anybody know a rich guy named Bill? <laughs> listen here, Bill. You got all this stuff. And you're doing good things. And you're a nice guy. And you've kept all these things. And I know you have. But if you want to be perfect, You've got to give me your heart because this stuff's got your heart. I'm more interested in getting your heart because he said, and then after that, come follow me. I'm going to show you the way to eternal life. But then one of the saddest verses I believe in the Bible 
the guy walks away from it after he heard it. He went away not just going away mad or stomping his feet. He went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. See, Jesus wasn't after his stuff. He was after his heart. That's all he's been after since the beginning of time. He's been after man's heart. So here's the deal. What really has your heart? What really has your heart? In Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is. So let me ask you this morning, church, where is the treasure of your time? Where is the treasure of your money? Where is the treasure of your emotions? Where do you invest these things? Where do you put these things? Who do you give these things to? And to what degree do you give them away? Because it's a direct reflection of your heart. You know it? It's what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart. And that's not just talking about your money. Because how many of you know our time is valuable? That's a treasure. Where's your time go? Where's your heart really at? Is God only an afterthought? Or simply someone that we connect with on one Sunday morning? How would our relationship with our spouse look like if we did that? If we just connected once a week for just a couple of hours. Hey, honey, let's get married. This is great. This is a great relationship. You know what? Let's go out to eat. Oh, you know, give me a kiss. Oh, I feel so wonderful when I'm around you for the two hours that I'm around you every week. And then you drop her off at the house. And you're like, you know, let, that was great. Let's do that again next week. Can you drive off? How great of a marriage would that be, right? You come back and pick her up. It's me again. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Yeah, this is great. Oh, time's up. <laughs> Packers are playing today, honey. I'll see ya. <laughs> and they're not playing this, but oh, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I know. They went away sorrowful for they hadn't known. But where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And you're not going to be able to develop that relationship of getting to know someone based on once a week. You're not going to be able to base that relationship. It's not going to be a strong relationship. And all you're interested in is what the person does for you. And you're not interested in getting to know who they are. You can't get to know who they are that way. And it's the same thing with God. He always looks at who we really are. God always looks at our heart. God always looks at who we really are. Always, always, always. You know, we can fool everybody else. We can put on a show for everybody else. We can put on a facade for everybody else and maintain like everything is just fine. But God knows your business. God knows your junk and God knows what's going on. God knows if he really has your heart or not. You can't fool him. I don't know where we, where we get this idea that we can fool God into thinking that we're something that we're not. That's, that's what we do with each other. <laughs> You see, God's looking for authenticity. That's what the Bible says in John 4 and 24. He says that the Spirit himself is searching. He's looking for those who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for sincerity. He's looking for authenticity. He's looking for genuine. And let me tell you, folks, that's what the world is looking for whenever they look at Christians. They're looking for genuine. They're looking for real. They're looking for authentic. Because they've been told one thing, and they've been, one thing has been said, but then the world sees a completely different thing. What are they seeing in us? Are they seeing that we have that relationship? Are we seeing that we've embraced God's heart and that we have that connection? What are they seeing? What are they seeing out of us? Because God knows, because he's looking at our heart. Check this out. In 1 Samuel 
chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. What's going on here is that there's a prophet that's named Samuel and God has given him the commission to go anoint the next king over Israel. He said, I want you to go find the next king. God had rejected Saul, who was the current king. He rejected him as king. He says, no, I'm going to anoint somebody else and I want you to go. Whenever you see the guy, I'll tell you who it is and then you'll be able to anoint him as the next king over Israel. So here's what's going on in 1 Samuel 16, chapter 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do and shall anoint for me the one I named you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He saw the first son of Jesse. He saw this Eliab guy stand up there and he goes, Whoa. Surely this is the guy. Obviously, he had the looks. He looked kingly. He looked like he had it going on. This guy had the appearance on the outward side of being a king. Surely this is the guy, but this is what God says. Verse 7, check this out. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks what? At the heart right? God is looking at the heart. So it's not our good deeds then, and it's not our outward appearance or our efforts that impress God. It's rather the heart that he is after. God is looking who we really are, not what we appear to be in front of others. You know, we can do a lot of good things. Man, there's good business guys that aren't even living for Christ, that are just good people that give tons of money and do nice things for people. I mean, there's a lot of people doing nice things. It's not the nice things that earns us eternal life or earns us a relationship with God. You see, sometimes we get into this people-pleasing mentality and we're so worried about what everybody thinks about us and we bring that over to our relationship with God. We think that if we're good enough that God will like us or God will accept us or God will approve us. Listen to me, folks. The Bible says that our righteousness or our right doings, the Bible says it's as filthy rags. The only thing that makes us good enough in the eyes of God is the fact that Jesus died for us and he's cleansed us and made us whole. That's it. It's only Jesus that makes us good enough to be connected to God and have that relationship with him. It's all because of Jesus I'm alive. You know, when we sing those songs, that's what we're talking about. It's all because of Jesus. It's not because of the good things that I've done. You see, it's because of Jesus and the fact that I believed on him. And now that I pursue that relationship with him and I grow in my relationship and getting to know who he is, then his character and who he is begins to come out. It's not the fact that it comes out that makes me good. It's Jesus that makes me good, and then his character comes out. Are you seeing that? You get that? That's why it's not by works alone that any man should boast. It's not that our own works that we're justified, but we're saved by grace through faith. Otherwise, we could boast and say, look at how good I am. Or we could go, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so over here and over here. 
At, at, least, at least I don't act like that person or talk like that person. Or at least I don't, you know, at least my kids behave better than so-and-so's kids, right? I mean, nobody in here says that. That's for somebody listening online or a church, you know, down the street or something, right? None of us ever say things like that. We never compare ourselves to other people. Come on, let's be real this morning. We do this. We compare ourselves to other people, and we will justify where we're at in life. You know, I'm a pretty good Christian if you consider, you know, what so-and-so does. I'm, I'm pretty spiritual. And we set ourselves up in a judgment seat that never was ours. We set ourselves up in a place of judgment that was never ours. It's God who judges. Amen? It's our job to pursue Him and to grow in Him, not to compare ourselves to everybody else. Let me tell you something. The enemy that's out to steal, kill, and destroy, you know what he'll try to do? He'll try to take you looking at somebody else's relationship with God, and you'll go, man, I really am a sorry Christian. And he'll make you feel like you're not good enough. And he'll make you feel like there's always this unachievable mark that you're never going to hit because so-and-so has just hit it, and they're just riding on clouds of glory. That's not how it works. That's a lie of the enemy to get you to buy into the fact that you're not good enough. And it's a lie. It's a bunch of junk. It's all because of Jesus. You know, Jesus loves you just as much as he loves Billy Graham. I said, Jesus loves you as much as he loves Billy Graham. Amen. I heard there was like somebody said like, amen. You know, like, I'm not sure if I should say amen or not, but I'm going to say it. Anyways, come on. Strong. Amen. God, God loves you just as much as he loves anybody who serves him and calls Christ his own. It's not by works that makes us superstars. That's a bunch of garbage. That's how the world works. This isn't how the kingdom of God works. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God works the exact opposite. If you want to be first in line, you know what Jesus said? He said, get in the back of the line. He said, if you want to be the greatest, then become the least. Become the servant of all. You know what Jesus said? He said, let me show you something, disciples. Let me show you something. I'm about to go to the cross, but before I do, I'm about to teach you one of the most important lessons that you're ever going to learn. And he gets down on his hands and his feet, and he takes off his clothes and wraps a towel around his waist and washes their feet. And then Peter, he says, oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, shut up, Peter. He said, if I can't wash your feet, he said, you have no part of me. Whoa. He said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. He said, well, then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head also. He's still trying to be super spiritual. Well, wash all of me, oh, Lord. Peter, you just don't get it. Just let me wash your feet and be quiet. <laughs> and then after he did that, he stood up and he looked at him and he said, what I've just done to you, you guys need to be doing to each other. If you want to be great, become the servant of all. Amen? And that was for free. I wasn't even in my notes. That's what that means. Turn over to the book of John, chapter 15. I think that's funny whenever preachers say things like that wasn't even in my notes. Like, you know what's in my notes, period. You know, everybody's just kind of read over to the notes, and they're like, oh, well, that wasn't in his notes, so that makes it spiritual. That's silly. John, chapter 15. 
It's the truth. That's just how they... <laughs> Sometimes preachers are goofy. All right, John chapter 15 and verse 1. I want to show you something here and get your, get your notes ready. I want you to take some good notes here because this will change your life. This, if you get a hold of this, if you understand this, I'm telling you, this is going to change your life. I want you to get this today. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, I'm the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now let's look at verse 8 there for just a second. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. In other words, the fact that you are bearing fruit, the fact that results are coming as, as your Christian walk, the change that's coming, all of the life transformation, the fruit, the results, whether that be the fact that you're walking in victory, you're walking in love, you're walking in forgiveness, you're walking in peace, you're walking in authority, you're walking in healing, you're walking in whatever it is that you're seeing fruit, you're seeing people's uh, lives change, you're witnessing to others, you're telling them, about Christ and seeing souls saved coming to the kingdom. He says, you're going to bear much fruit and it's going to glorify my father. It's going to glorify God. He said, this is the goal here is that you embrace change, that you embrace my heart, that you understand my desire for you, that you understand how much I love you and what I'm doing for you because of that love and I'm giving myself to you. And because of that, I, I want you to embrace me. I want you to embrace my heart and get to know me and bear much fruit in your own life then everybody's going to know you're my disciple. You don't have to have a what would Jesus do t-shirt. You don't even have to have a fancy bumper sticker on your car letting everybody know that you're a Christian because they're going to be able to see the fruit. It's going to be obvious to everybody that you're a disciple because your life is going to glorify God. Okay? So he said, this is how this happens. Now, I want you to catch this, though. He said a lot of stuff before he got to that. In verse 3, he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That doesn't make sense. So we need to think about this. What is he talking about? You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So that sounds like we don't need to do anything then if we've already been made clean. But that's not true. I want you to check this out. The word clean there. In the original Greek text, the word clean is the word kathairo. And it is a term that's used in shearing. It's a term that's used in pruning vegetation. And that means you've already been pruned. You've already been prepared. You've already been made clean by what? By the word. He said you've already been made clean or you've already been pruned or put in the position to be able to bear much fruit by my word. So you've already been pruned. Now the word word there, the word word, word. He said the word word is the word logos. That's my gangster side right there, y'all. The word word is the Greek word logos, and that means in the sense of the teaching and the preaching, and, and, and that was Jesus communicating to them. So he said, based on what I've taught you and what I've invested in you, he said, you've already been positioned or pruned, ready to bear much fruit. 
or to see that life change. Now, here's the next thing he tells us. In verse 4, he says, Now abide in me, and I in you. He said, The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He said, Now, since you've been made clean, or you've been positioned to bear much fruit by my words that I've spoken to you and the things that I've invested in you, because of that, abide. Now, the word abide is a Greek word, mano, and it means to continue in a certain place. So y'all ready for me to break it down? We're going, all right. I should never do that. <laughs> That's going to be one of those car ride home things that my wife says. Okay. I'm going to have to start all over now. All right. So Jesus was saying this. Jesus was saying, stay and continue in that place of receiving my word, because that's that being made clean. I made you clean by pruning you with my word. And because of that, it's on the inside of you, your position to bear much fruit. Jesus was saying, stay and continue in that place of receiving the word and being connected to me. Continue in that place. Abide in me. Abide in me. Stay connected. Continue in that place. Because if you do, you're going to bear much fruit. The life change that you want to see happen, the things that I have for you, the fruit I want you to bear, I want you to continue in that. It's going to happen because you continue in that place where I've made you clean and you grow in that. And what place is that? The place of him sharing his word. That's where us understanding God's word is vital because as we seek to understand God's word, guess what? We're just not learning a bunch of memory verses. We're learning the character of God. We're not only hearing what he desires for us, we're hearing who he is. We're getting to know his heart. We're getting to know God's desire for us. And the more I understand him, then I can take his word and apply it to my life. And the more I apply it, then I see the fruit and the life change. But we've already been made clean. Jesus said by the words he's spoken. So you're being pruned this morning. You're welcome. You're being pruned this morning by the word of God. You're being pruned. What does that mean, Pastor Derek? It means the word that you're hearing today is helping to position you to be able to bear much fruit. And the thing is, he said, abide in that. Continue in that. Continue in that place of the word of being pruned because it's going to enable you to bear much fruit. Sometimes pruning hurts, snip, snip, right? It hurts because you're snipping a branch here, snipping a branch there. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful, but what it does is if we'll abide and continue in that place, it puts us in the position to bear much fruit and embrace the change and embrace the things God wants us to be and do because we know that God's best for us is better than whatever we could ever ask, think, or dream, or hope. It's better than whatever. And I'm telling you, his word makes us clean and abiding in that helps position us to grow. Now, to embrace change in our lives, we must continue in our relationship with God and we must continue growing in his word. We've got to continue in that relationship. We've got to continue growing because if we continue to be connected to the vine, if we continue to be connected to the vine, he said he's the vine, and what part did he say we were? He said we were the branches. Jesus is what? He's the vine, and we are the? Okay, we're the branches. Where does the fruit come from? From branches. The fruit is on the branches, right? But the branches are connected to the vine. Now, if we're connected to the vine, that means the same source of life that's flowing through the vine flows to the branches. It's not different, right? 
It's the same life. The same thing that keeps the branches alive is the same thing that keeps the vine alive, that life flowing through it. The life that's flowing through Jesus Christ, the life of God, the Spirit of God. Whenever you become a Christian, whenever you get saved, and His Spirit, He makes you new, then all of a sudden the Spirit of God now lives on the inside of you. Okay? So what happens is that vine, now we get hooked up, we get connected. Yay, I'm a branch! But here's the thing about a vine and a branch. If it's got a good, strong, healthy connection to the vine, to the source, that source of life, whenever it's that season where fruit is supposed to come, does that branch have to go, oh, i got to try really, really hard to make some fruit? Does that apple tree go, apples now? Does that grapevine go, Mm, if I could just get these out. Oh, no. It doesn't. How does it happen? It happens naturally, doesn't it? Ooh. I said that it happens naturally. So that means that if I'm connected to the life-giving power of God, if I'm connected to Jesus, if I abide in his word and I let him prune me and shape me and mold me and position me and I continue in that, then I'm positioned to bear fruit naturally. That means the fruit that God wants us to bear, the life change that he wants us to experience, the things he wants to do in our life, they will happen as a result of growing in relationship with him and embracing his heart, embracing who he is, and letting the junk that doesn't need to be there get pruned off by his word. And that's how you bear fruit. That's how you see results. Then all of a sudden you see yourself not struggling with something you used to struggle with. Why? Because you just had a great encounter? No, because you've been continuing and abiding in his word. And all of a sudden this stuff has just happened naturally. All of a sudden you're walking in freedom naturally. All of a sudden you're walking in love naturally. How many of you know that love should be natural to a believer? How many of you know that forgiveness should be natural to a believer? These should be natural fruits that we produce. I got a bigger amen on the love than on the forgiveness. Maybe we need to hang out there for a minute. You know that the Bible says that if you don't forgive your brother, that your prayers will be hindered? Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know that's also in the Bible that if you treat your spouse bad, that it will also hinder your prayers? Did you know that in the book of Ephesians? Did you know that if you're walking in bitterness and unforgiveness towards others, that it's actually hurting you? A lot of times we think we're hurting the other person, but we're not. We're hurting ourselves. We're developing bitterness and we're allowing these roots to just grow in our heart. And God is saying, you know, those are your riches. Those are the things that you're holding on to, rich young ruler. And, and if you want to follow me and you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to let go of that and follow me. Because what I've got for you is better than whatever you're holding on to. You know what God's got in store is better than alcoholism. You know that what God's got in store is better than drug abuse, abuse? You know that what God's got in store is better than anger? You know what God's got in store is better than pornography? You know that what God's got in store is better than lying? You know that what God's got in store is better than fear and anxiety and worry? You know that what God's got in store is better than depression? You know that what God's got in store is better than manipulation? God's got it in store for you and he wants the best for you 
But we've got to embrace his heart and abide in his word. And this stuff is going to happen in our lives naturally, where we see victory, where we see peace, where we see love, where we see that perfect love that casts out all fear, where we begin to learn how to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways and allow him to direct our paths. You know, we'll be able to clearly see how to move forward, what we need to do in our lives. When we abide in his word, we continue in it because he said, I've already made you clean. I'm pruning you. I'm purging you. I'm positioning you to be able to bear much fruit. And then what did he say again in verse eight? He said, by this, my father's glorified. You bring glory to God through the fact that you produce fruit naturally. Amen? In Matthew 12 and verse 33, in Matthew 12 and 33, the Bible says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. That's kind of how you know what kind of tree it is. That's pretty simple, right? What kind of fruit is our life producing? What kind of things are we being known for? What kind of fruit are others seeing in our lives? Jesus also said that if you're my disciples, he said, you're going to walk in love. He said, and by this, all men are going to know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. They're going to know that you belong to me because of the fruit that you bear. I don't care how bad you want it to be. You can't stick an orange tree sign in front of an apple tree and it start making oranges. It's not going to happen. You can call it all day long. You can say, that is an orange tree. Oh, apples. That is an orange tree. You are an orange tree. You can kick it and say, don't you know that you're an orange tree? Apples. Over and over again. Over and over again. You're an orange tree. You're an orange tree. No, apples. It's known by its fruit. It's known by its fruit. Christian, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Fruit. What does the fruit say? Is it showing the love of God? Are we showing that peace of God? Are we showing that forgiveness and love towards one another? I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian. Don't you see my T-shirt? Don't you see my cross tattoo on my face? <laughs> I'm a Christian. I've got the face of Jesus tattooed on my back. Don't you see? I'm a Christian. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks where? At the heart. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or let the tree be bad and its fruit bad. Because a tree is known by its fruit. See, folks, we've got to embrace change, and it'll enable us to move forward. If we embrace change, if we embrace the heart of God, if we embrace who He is, if we embrace that relationship with Him, it will enable us to move forward in the steps that He wants us to move, in the direction that He wants us to move. Because we're more concerned with His agenda than we are ours. We're more concerned with what he wants than what I want. We're more concerned with abiding and positioning ourselves in his word so we can bear the kind of fruit we're supposed to bear. But we've got to embrace his heart. It can't just be a once a week thing. It's got to be something that we embrace and that we grow in. Amen? That's what enables us to move forward. You see, embracing change is going to require us to do this. 
it's going to require us to be honest with God. Yeah, it's true. But guess who else it's going to require us to be honest with? Ourselves. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to point at your neighbor and say, you need to get honest with yourself. (laughs) But if you point one finger at somebody, how many gets pointed back at you? Three? So point three at yourself and say, you need to get honest with yourself. (laughs) You guys didn't participate. You need to get honest with yourself. (laughs) I need to get honest with me. Because you know what? Sometimes I get so busy trying to fool everybody that I start believing it myself. Sometimes I get so busy trying to put this appearance like I've got it all together and I don't have anything to worry about and and I'm just a perfect super Christian. Oh, bless thee. We even talk in King James whenever we meet people. Oh, howeth are thee today? What blesseth thee? What do thou planneth to doeth after serviceth? And we think we're just so super spiritual, but it's just a facade. It's just a bunch of junk, but God's not interested in that. He's looking at our heart. People think Jesus spoke in King James. He didn't. Let me tell you guys, it's not about this outward stuff that we try to appear like we are all perfect. God wants us to be raw. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be honest, not just with him, but with ourselves. So here's the thing that we need to ask ourselves. Are we going to recognize this need for change? Are we going to say, God, how do I please you? What did you say? Because whenever everything is said and done, all that's going to matter, all that's going to matter is how we responded to what God said. And did we embrace the truth? Did we embrace the change? Did we embrace the best? Did we embrace his heart? Because when everything is said and done, all that's going to matter is how you and I responded to what God said. Whenever Jesus confronted the rich young ruler, you remember him? He went away sad because the cost was too great. He didn't see the need for change. He didn't think it was worth it. He didn't think that the change that was being required of him to move forward was worth it. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Do you really want God's best for your life? You know, that sounds like such an easy question. It sounds like something that we would go... Of course I do. (laughs) What kind of idiot wouldn't want God's best for life? Of course I do. Amen. Praise God. Do backflips down the aisle. I want God's best. But just because I say it, and just because God wants it, doesn't mean that it's going to happen if I don't embrace his heart and embrace change, position myself and abide in his word and grow. Because Christians can live their whole lives serving the Lord, going to church, but they can never, never grow and still live defeated still live dealing with the same junk they dealt with when they got saved 40 years ago because they never grew up. They never grew past it. What if you and I were still wearing diapers today? (laughs) What if we still had to wear pampers and we still had to have our parents change us? That, That would be crazy. But that's how it happens in Christianity. We never grow up. We never learn how to do things for ourselves and grow ourselves. We never learn how to embrace the change God requires of us, so we're still dealing with the same poop that we've been dealing with all of our lives. And that's the truth. We still deal with the same stuff over and over again, over and over again, because we haven't grown. We haven't abided in His Word. We haven't been pruned. We haven't embraced change. We thought, well, if God wants better for me, well, He's just going to make it happen. Folks, let me tell you, He gives us a responsibility after we have been given the seed and given the Word to do something with it. You know that? I'll show you that in Scripture if you don't believe me. (laughs) 
in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, doing what? Deceiving yourselves. You see, we actually deceive ourselves whenever we hear the word and don't do it because we think that somehow this doesn't apply to me or I don't need this or I know enough scripture or I've been going to church long enough and we try to feel like we're in this God owes us mentality. Like we've been good enough, so God, I'm waiting on you to just take care of all my issues and my problems because I think I've been pretty good. Kind of like the rich young ruler. Oh, you know, I've, I've kept all these things since my youth. What else do I lack? I mean, for real. Come on, Jesus. Just, just tell me all he was wanting to hear was, oh, okay, well, then you're in. <laughs> he said, you lack one thing. You haven't given me your heart. You haven't embraced my heart. Because here's what happens when we embrace the heart of God, when we get to know him, not just for what he can do for us, but we get to know him, then his character, his word begins to prune us and it begins to shape us and mold us and it begins to conform us to the image of his son, not just on the inside in our spirit that's recreated, but out here in the natural. And we begin to see the things that God wants for us and how he wants us to live and the great things he has for us because they're better than whatever we could ever dream. Amen? Does this help anybody today? Amen. I'm glad because this is to me too, even though I'm delivering it. We all need to embrace change. We all need to embrace what God has for us because it is truly better. We've got to trust that he's faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And we need to do our part and embrace change. And then guess what happens after we do our part to embrace change? Then God does what only he can do. Instead of us trying to make things happen, we allow that season to come whenever it's time for it and we just trust God we believe him we believe him sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see things happen immediately when and how like we all had it planned out or like it happened to somebody else because they did this and we think it's a formula and we think it's a 10-step program to, to to do this and do that and it's not it's relationship and I get to know him and abide in his word and then these things start to come out in my life naturally it's understanding how to walk by faith understanding how to know God for who he is. So here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to embrace change and we're going to move forward because what God has in store for us is truly better than whatever. Amen? Do you believe it? Bow your heads this morning. I want to ask you a question. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Derek, I need to embrace that step of just making Jesus my Lord because I really haven't even done that or maybe I have done that. I've accepted him as Savior. I've said a prayer, but I'm not really seeing that fruit in my life because I'm, I'm not, I haven't been abiding. I haven't been connecting and I just feel like I just need to recommit my life to him. If that's you and you're in this place, I just want you to let me know that you're here. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come down. I just want you to raise your hand and just simply let me know you're here. I see that hand. See that hand. You can put it right back down. I see that hand. See that hand. Hands up all over this place. I see them. You can put them right back down. There's no shame. Because he does have better for you. And I don't want you to just say this prayer just because. I don't want you to say this prayer just to make yourself feel better. I want you to say this prayer because you really mean it. I want you to say this prayer because you're declaring to 
God today that you really are ready to get serious with him and embrace whatever changes he may be requiring of you as you grow in your relationship with him, as you grow in his word, as you grow in your understanding as a believer of how to take this word and correctly apply it to your life. I want you to be serious about this. This isn't just some ritual. You got to understand this isn't just some routine that we go through every week. This isn't just something that we're going to do. This is real stuff. This is eternity stuff because all that's going to matter is how you respond to the truth of what God said. So are you responding to what God said today? Or are you just wanting to say a prayer just to make yourself feel better? I pray that your heart is genuine and it's true because you know what? You, you can fool me because sometimes I'm pretty gullible, but you know what? You can't fool God. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. So I want you to be serious today. I want you to be for real today. We're not playing games here. We're not playing games. And we're not playing games with embracing change and embracing God's best. And if you say today, Pastor Derek, I want to embrace change. I want to embrace God's best. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to do what he wants me to do. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to embrace his heart in a greater way than I ever have. I'm ready to embrace his best. I'm ready to embrace the truth of his word. I'm ready to abide in that place where I bear fruit naturally because I'm connected to the source. I'm ready to embrace that. I'm ready for word of grace to move forward into the destiny that you've called us into. I'm ready for my marriage to move into the destiny that you've called it into. I'm ready for my job, for my relationships, for my children to move into the destinies that you've called them to. I'm ready to embrace whatever change necessary. And if that's you, and if you say, I'm ready to embrace that heart, I'm ready to embrace that change, I want you to stand up on your feet this morning and make a declaration that you're ready. I'm ready to make that change. I want you to stand up on your feet. Say, I'm ready to embrace God's heart. Ready to embrace whatever he has for me. I'm ready to embrace what he has for word of grace. Ready to embrace it. I'm ready. And I want that. So God, you show us how. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I accept what you did on the cross. It was good enough to forgive me of my sin and to make me right in the eyes of God. I'm ready to embrace change. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to accept whatever you have for me. Prune me. Change me. Mold me. Shape me into what you want me to be so I can bring glory to God. So I can walk in victory. So I can get to know your heart more. Not just because of what you can do for me. Because I want to know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe it?